Welcome back, everybody, to another installment of Inside the Rut. I'm your host, Kenny Watson, of course, here with my co-host. We might release his last name pretty soon, but so far we're just going to go with Greg. What's up, Greg? What's up, man? Not much. Well, how was your weekend, buddy? Uh, it was good, but a little bummed out in another, another mud race. Yeah, but I don't think... Yeah, it was mud, but it wasn't as bad. At least the guys could do some of the obstacles. Yeah, yeah it definitely wasn't as bad as San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was uh, me watching it. I, I It was a little bit more entertaining for me. Like, some of that, that mud stuff is just, like, it's funny. I watch it and hear the the announcers, you know, not Ricky, but the play guy, whatever that guy's name is, Lee, when they they try to get excited, you know, guys passing him in first gear. And he's screaming about the past, and I'm just like, ah, come on, guy. But, uh, yeah, uh, glad did. So you went to San Diego, correct? I went to San Diego, uh, got there really early. Well, not really early, but um, right before the pits opened. And um, hung out for a little bit, but, yeah, it started raining, and not my thing. So. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't buy your tickets and you're just a credential holder. Or you could say, ah, I'm over it. I'll come back another day. Or even leave and come back. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely nice to be able to, to leave and not have to, like, stress too much about it. Yeah, leave and say, man, I bought all that. I spent all that money on tickets. I'm not even going to be able to see it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I don't have, like, a little kid or anything that's going to, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watch. You know, like I probably did for my dad back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I only have one memory of my dad with mud. I remember I got a bike, never rode it in on a track, and he took me to Indian Dunes, and it was dumping, raining, and we were, like, literally the only people there. And I had to ride it, and I rode it maybe 10 minutes, and it was just over. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's, you know, I think it's starting to take its toll on the riders and the teams. And, you know, once in a while, you know, it's okay, you know, and it's a, it mixes it up a little bit. But to kind of start the season in the mud and it's just like not getting any better yet, it's just kind of sucks. It does. And I was going to ask you that too. Like, what do you, like, being on teams, being a mechanic, all that stuff, like, when you know it's going to be a mud race, like, is it just like, oh, man, here we go? Yeah. Like well, I was going to bring this up later, but uh, the factory teams, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're, they're doing the same service, the same thing, regardless, mud or not. Yeah. Like, their bikes come down all the way. You know, most teams do. Um, but at the factory level, it's just throw everything away and rebuild. Right, right. Uh, on a smaller team... Um, you know, like a, you know, a factory supported team, 
it's clean all the parts, you know, spend hours and hours in a solvent tank and, you know, then rebuild. But a lot of people don't realize this is, you know, when you're on a team like that, a factory team, they just, there's, there's no budget, you know, for, they, there's, they do whatever they got to do to get it done. But when you're on a privateer team, you know, it literally costs, you know, in a mud race when you have to rebuild probably 2000 2500 bucks to rebuild the bike. And if you, we'll, we'll take a team like Moto Concepts. Moto Concepts, Concepts had three riders, you know, one in the 450 and then the two lights guys. So literally they're spending <clears throat> almost close to $10,000 a weekend that they weren't budgeted for to rebuild. So saying that, you have them back to back, that's 20 grand. So what I heard was this week, they decided to let the guys ride their practice bikes in the race, which we have done before at Hart and Huntington just for that reason. Um, you know, we like to keep our bikes, you know, close as possible to their race bikes. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, when you're going up against the factory guys, um, you know, when you have, you know, the most important part of the race is horsepower and the start. You know, you could get away with, you know, riding that practice bike, you know, everywhere else. But once you get yarded at the start because you're on a practice bike and the engine isn't as strong as these guys, you know, it's a problem. And, uh, you know, I think you could tell. I mean, if you go back and look at most of the starts, who was up front at the majority of the starts, just like every week, yeah. it's the factory guys. I mean, so saying that, it, it's it's tough. If you go into it and know you're riding your practice bike, you're just like, huh, okay, I got work to do because my guy's going to ride on, you know, Monday or Tuesday, and I'm going to have to go to the shop, but you know, you're still going to break down your bike, maybe not all the way. You're just going to rip all the plastic off of it and just clean the shit out of it and maybe, you know, check the valves and do what you got to do and put a new clutch in it. But, uh, you know, there's a big difference there. Yeah, there's just a lot of, what I noticed is as a fan, there's just a lot of prep involved. Period. Not oh. just with the bikes, but like the goggles. The the helmets, yeah, like, fuck yeah. There's so much stuff, like everybody on the team or guy, gobble guy, whatever, they gotta be like stressing when it's mud, right? Yeah, there's just like I was gonna ask you too, because working with Utopia and stuff with goggles, how do you think um how do those guys take it when you see like these guys tossing their goggles or saying, Oh yeah, I pulled the roll off and it all came off or does the goggle guy get a little bit like, oh man, like that's my goggle. Yeah, I remember a race and I had, of course, Kyle Lewis with Utopia was probably one of my first guys because I needed to get guys in it. And most guys aren't going to go wear the goggle unless they're getting paid no matter what. And he was a guy that, you know, I said, hey, why don't you wear these goggles and I'll get you paid next year. And he was like, okay. So we, we were at uh, Mount Morris or Steel City. Steel City. And it was that year where Alessi was a rookie. And Kyle was in second behind Wyndham, and he was on that day. He was riding good. He was on the Motor Triple X Honda, riding good. And uh, there was a, a, a 
backing post inside that for the roll off. It was you know you know how the roll offs work. Yeah. They have like a backing plate that have, and it has like a screw that goes into it. Well, obviously, I'm not going to say it was tight because if it was tight, it wouldn't have fallen out. Right. Well, the backing post fell out, so the roll off fell down. Okay, and the screw was just bouncing around on the inside. And he rode, I'll give it to him, he rode a long time with it like that. And then he just finally had to stop and throw his goggles. And when you throw your goggles outside, you're done. So he lost some money, and I lost a lot of uh, ego that, at that race. I was super bummed. Yeah, and a lot to like, so I think that um, it was San Francisco this year. Yeah. Even jet roll-off, you could see the... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it it happens, you know, because there's some there's you know how that usually happens is mud gets between the film and the goggle, the, it gets stuck to the lens and the film's on top of it. So when you go to pull it, the mud's drying and it's drying to the film. So they're going to pull it, and when they pull it, either the cord breaks because they're pulling so hard, or the film you know backs up and starts spinning inside, and then it backs out, and that's where you get your streamers. So. It's there. It's you know with the mud. It's you can't blame anything. But you, yeah, because if you could, if you could help it and and do the right thing and prep your goggles good, where you know, like you know, nothing is gonna break on these goggles. And if it happens because of the mud and mud, you know, it it is what it is. It's. Yeah. I just think like as a goggle guy, it would be a bummer because there's nothing you could do in that situation. But people that don't know as much as like somebody like you just like say you're just like an average fan or something you see it and you're like oh look don't buy those goggles look what happened you know people just do yeah like yeah yeah understand how yeah work. or like he like tomac smokes his clutch and they're like oh look dude don't buy a yamaha or whatever because clutches are terrible and you know people do that so i just thought i'd ask you about any kind of melancholy things like that when you yeah, it they they happen. They happen. It's just all there is to it. The mud is the equalizer in in racing, and anything could happen. If it can happen, it usually does happen. And uh, you know that's why it's so hard to win a mud race. Everything just has to go right. Yeah, yeah. The mud, the mud's a trip, man. You got to get a good start. Yeah. I mean, that helps a lot. It takes a, it takes a certain technique. To ride the mud good, you have to be able to. I mean, a perfect example is um, with Thrasher. Yeah. They changed his rear wheel. Yeah. Oh, the red flag. Yeah, and he came back and he put. You know, I don't know if he had a scoop on and went to a non-scoop or went the other way. Right, right. Maybe he didn't have a scoop because the it wasn't really once you got outside the main line, you were screwed. Right. You were in soup. But if you stayed on the main line, it was raceable. Right. And the track got a lot better as yeah. the went on. Yeah. So, um, you know, saying that, I think that, you know, there's definitely different, you know, techniques of riding in the, in the mud. And you have to be able to trust your tires more than ever when you're in that kind of condition where it's just not mud. It's, you know, you have a groove and then you have soup. Right. In the soup, I mean, you could have balloons on your tires. and. <laughs> No, no, no. Nothing's happening in that. But, like last night, it mattered. Yes. And you could see a guy like, uh, we'll use this Marchbanks, for instance. That guy, 
was is knows how to ride the mud because if you noticed, he never, you know, turned his handlebars. He was always leaning on the tire and leaning, and he was always straight up and down on the bike. You know what I mean? He was never going to the edge of the tire. He was always, you know, in in that position where you know the tires were doing the work, and he wasn't, you know. If you look, you see all these other guys when they race, how they crashes, they turn their handlebars. You know, they're going through the whoops and they jack, they jack it a little bit, and then their back wheel's not straight with their front wheel and they slides out. Yeah. So I've, there's a technique to it in some. That was Shimoda. He was like. Oh yeah, he's he's. Bars falling everywhere. I thought he would be better in the mud. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get into the Shimoda thing right now, me and you? Do you want to talk about what what you know what I told you about earlier? I think so. Yeah, talk about it. Okay. Well, people, uh, there's there was an issue going down with Shimoda and my buddy Carson Mumford, yeah. and what happened was I guess they had on San in San Diego on press day. Um, well, it started at Anaheim One. Okay. Well, I. Okay, do you know what happened? Um, no. Did you talk to him? Well, if you're going to, you know, say they got into it, what happened? Oh, well, all I seen was... Were you listening to the the guy from... Uh, no, the, like, you know how on press day they do, um, like, uh, they get to film, right? Yeah. From press day. So, in, in one of the films, I forget which one it was, uh, they, bang, they bang into each other a few times. And it's and it's obvious that they're not like. First of all, it's press day, so you're thinking, yeah. already thinking like, whoa, and they're going pretty fast, and it happens more than once that you then you start to notice like, well, it's not just trying to jockey for position. It was more of like a, they're not too pumped with each other, you know. And mm-hmm. then yeah, reading stuff online or whatever, and. Okay, well they they had some issues going into last week or or last week. Yeah. Um, then, uh, this week they had an issue on press day where I guess Shimoda gave them the business and was, they were in a, in a 90 and Joe just straight, cut straight across supposedly and was going for his front wheel and Carson checked up and Shimoda missed him. And then they went down straight away and there was another one and Carson just corked him, you know, and, uh, I guess Honda um didn't like that at all and they told MCR that um if Carson has any more issues with Joe Shimoda or anybody on Moto Concept has any issues with any factory Honda team riders so if Freeze has an issue with the Lawrence brothers or you know what's his what's the 55 yeah, Mitchell has any issues um, with Joe that they're pulling their support, and Honda is clipping MCR. So saying that, Carson's penalty from Honda was they're not going to let him ride the track for a week, which makes no sense to me. Okay, they're on different teams, but they ride the same manufacturer. Okay, I understand that they that's their money guy, and they don't want anything to happen to him. I get that. That's fine. But just to, just to not let him practice to do better for the brand, it's like I don't I don't understand that. Like 
just talk to him and tell him, hey, you can't do that. You know, we're not happy about that. Fine. Okay. I got you. But don't, you know, try to, you know, hurt the guy's career. You already fucked him once already, you know, on the Geico thing. Yeah. You know, on to fuck Carson. There's got to be, a, I wonder, too, do you think there's a little bit, do you think their beef goes back a little bit to the I, I, uh, Well, I don't think Joe would have any beef with Carson. I think if there was any beef, it would be the other way. Because Joe's the one that got all the support and the help. Because I'm just curious if, like, because Joe got the help, Carson maybe... maybe well, that's what I'm saying. It, like, maybe butt hurt, like, no, I don't think Carson ever said anything, like, came up. Yeah, no, I don't, and I don't think he was. I mean, it's just one of those things. You pick him or me. And, you know, I'm a fr- I am believe this with all my heart. If Carson would have got those opportunities that Joe had, that Carson would have excelled on it. Because... He did it his whole career. Like, he, he won, you know, as an amateur. He did everything against the same guys he's racing against now. There's nothing different. You know, he's just as good. You know what I mean? I mean, if you go back and look at they're the same guy at Geico, it's either Joe won or Carson won. You know what I mean? And you know what's kind of funny, too, is that I didn't hear anything. Remember during the last year when Carson filled in for PC? Yeah. Joe was on PC. Yeah. And I never heard any. Yeah, there was there wasn't any. There wasn't any. Like I said, if it was coming from anyone, it would be, you know, Carson having the beef. But Carson didn't, you know, I don't think that he he started the whole bullshit deal, you know, because Carson doesn't ride like that. He's not. He he's been around the industry way too long, you know, and he he comes from a good pedigree. It's not gonna, you know, do stupid shit for no reason. A lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, you figure they give them, you know, pretty much everything they need for bikes and parts. So Honda's supporting MCR a lot more than Honda's supporting Phoenix, right? Mm. Because I heard Brandis only has, like, like his front brake and his clamps yeah no no i'm not talking i'm not talking about parts factory parts i'm talking about oem motorcycles and parts okay. i'm not talking about factory anything okay. Okay. because i don't think that honda i know for probably a fact they don't support carson with like no okay. and you know what they tell him that is he's suspended from riding the honda track for a month well i don't think that's pretty silly because Exactly, and and I think you know nothing against Joe Shimoda, but he's having a, he's struggling hard enough by himself without Carson getting in his way and jacking with him. Yeah, he I, I, man, I, I trip out on his season so far because yeah, I understand there's two mutters, but even a one, he I, I expected Joe to do a lot more than he's doing right now. Maybe maybe our expectations were a little high, but well, they they needed to be. He went to the best team at that time. The that bike won a championship last year, two east and west. Yeah. So you're getting, you know, on that team that's a championship team, right. and you're expected to win. They're not expecting Joe just to be on the box. Right. I'm sure he made money to win, not just show up. Right, yeah, there was, there was quite a bit of hype about him going there. So, so we'll see. I just think that's a little, uh, little inside side, you know. Yeah, Maybe know. people don't know, but it's a, uh, it's a weird deal, and. Uh, the thing that's going to really screw Honda and maybe not, but maybe so is 
this week, you know, if it rains a couple more days, like it's supposed to, you know, yeah, every Supercross track in the area is going to be done pretty much all week. Well, Carson has a track up in, you know, at his house that in the desert that you can ride a day after it rains and it soaks it in and it's perfect. And a lot of people go up there and ride. And I don't think it would be a problem if, you know, if Honda didn't do what they just did for them to call, you know, Carson and ask to come up there and ride. He would have said no problem. But I don't even think they would call now. If they do, they got big balls. <laughs> yeah, they got funny. big fucking balls. But, cool. yeah, it's, 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 there's so much fucking politics and bullshit. You know, the, the guys that are running the whole racing division at Honda, it's a weird deal. They're not even employed by Honda. They're employed by a, a marketing company that Honda pays to do all their marketing because Honda Japan pays American Honda and then America Honda pays a marketing company to do all their marketing and racing is under marketing. So these guys, you know, I I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I just don't think that uh, the guys in place are the, the correct guys to be doing it. But who am I to say that? Um, but, you know, speaking of uh, Honda, I'd like to c- congratulate Ricky D for winning the uh, the Dakar rally. That's yeah. two. That's two, yeah. That, that race, I mean, you got there's almost got to be something wrong with you, dude, to want to do that race. Like, dude, that I think, like, I remember I was talking to my buddy Kyle Lewis, and he's like, motorcycles aren't meant to be ridden for three hours, not motocross bikes. So you think about the Dakar, it's like a two-week race. Sleeping in tents on the ground the yeah, night before. And then you can't let no one touch your bike. You have to work on it. Yeah. And then, yeah. So if something happens, it's like they're out there trying to change tires and stuff, like on <sighs> sand dunes and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's it's a different kind of race. Remember when Andrew Short did it a few years ago? Yeah. That was pretty crazy to, to see him, like a straight up moto supercross guy retire and then. Did he go to Dakar? Did he? Did he end up? Hmm. I don't know if he. He does stuff very similar to that. Yeah. Still, pretty crazy. Any of that, like hundreds of miles in the desert, is crazy. Yeah. Dude, I used to trip out. Is like you know, you used to see those things like commercials on TV for the VHS set, the VHS tapes, when they were like you know the best crashes and they'd show like cars crashing right. then they would show a guy in the car just riding and just ride off a razorback and endo and just kill himself and i was thinking like dude okay there was a photographer there yeah i know he told him sitting there with a camera just waiting for this guy to crash right. why didn't you know this guy jump out and say hey right. you know watch out he just wanted the footage he didn't give a sh- <laughs> yeah. rat's ass about who he didn't care if the guy crashed and yeah, got hurt yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's what they do in Mexico. They just dig holes and, you know, crap like that and wait for people just to fucking crash on motorcycles and video it, you know, on the Baja races. I trip out on those races, too, because, um, like, obviously you have to be good with, like, the navigation and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You could just end up in the middle of 
I mean, they're already in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. you could really end up off course quick. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't, if you uh, didn't know how to read your stuff, right? And nowadays, yeah, we have a bunch of technology, but like, what about back in the day? Yeah. You know, if you didn't know how to navigate through stuff or whatever, that that's that can get bad quick. Yeah, for sure. Well, this isn't an off-road race podcast. Let's get back to the the confrontations over the weekend. Then we have another one with. Cooper Webb and Sexton, and yeah. I don't think Coop think was. was I don't think Coop was too happy. I don't think it was intentional. I, I no. I it, well, it might have been. I don't know. I don't think but so. Coop wasn't happy. He and he was getting close. That's why. Did you see him flip him off? Yeah, and he was getting close, dude. And then it he was within a second and a half. Yeah, that's pretty really, much on him. What really sucks too is that right. Right before that, um, he had lapped Tomac, which is Webb's teammate, and Tomac didn't do anything to him. Tomac got out of the way. Tomac got out of the way. He hung behind him, which yeah. I thought was cool. Yeah. So he hung right behind did him. Did you notice that Tomac just hung there the whole the rest of the race? The race. Yeah. I think, he did, I think he did that for a statement. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was really bummed for Roxon, man. Yeah. Got the whole shot, got out front, kind of like last week in San Francisco. When he whole shot it and stalled up on the thing. Yeah, I think that's really starting to hurt him, and I think it's starting. It's going to start affecting him pretty quick. I seen a video. I think it was um, maybe Swap Moto with Don or whatever, and he uh, they interviewed Larry Brooks. I believe it was press day of San Diego, maybe San Francisco, and um, Larry said that they actually have electric start. That he might. That he said in the video. You might see electric start on his bike before the end of the year. Yeah, so like, a lot of people don't understand that when you put that on there, it changes everything. Yeah, it's not just like now you just have a button. Yeah, it's uh, you know, a lot of changes happen to the the delivery of the engine. Yeah, and, and two, they have to add it's like it's weight, it's or, weight. You know, yeah, stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but, but so you don't think that was like you think Sexton was. Okay with that? Well, because of the condition. Yeah, I true. Can see how you can get yeah. Really yeah. Fast, yeah, but he but but on Coop's defense, I think it was a lot of ego stuff going on when that blue flag's thrown on you. Oh, for sure. And that blue flag was thrown on him for if you go back and look at it for a good three or four corners before. Yeah. And he knew he knew what was going on cuz he already got lapped by the guys in front of him. So, he's seen who was, you know, he knew who was going on. He knew that, you know, Ando, I mean, uh, no, that, you know, Plessinger was leading. So, I don't know. It could go either way, but, you know. The funny thing is, is that he kind of, he, he does, he, he messes up and gets in his way, and then immediately he pulls over and left Webb by, so that's what makes Well, well the reason why, you know, you would think just speculating and, we shouldn't be doing that is because for that reason saying, Oh, I screwed up. I want to get out of the way now when he just gave him an extra gap, right. you know, what's he going to do? Just keep blocking him. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it could go either way. It could go either way. And, 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 well, and you know, I'm sure we're going to hear from, from chase if he already has, I don't know right, yeah. if, if he's come back, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I liked, dude. I liked about it, like Andrew or Jet, 
the young kid has everything going. He knows that he's that guy, all the pressure, you know, all the fans, you know, I'm Jet, I'm Jet, this is my deal. And he was p- trying to play like he was the boss. On, <laughs> And then you see it, and then all of a sudden, Ando goes, nope, not today, kid, and just grabbed him and just like, no, 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 you're not going to disrespect me like that. Let's go. Let's go. Not here. And the funny thing is, like, he didn't even put his hand on him first. Lawrence did it, and then Anderson gets the fine. Right, and then what I find funny, too, is, yeah, Anderson was, like, maybe Jet felt like he was holding him up, he was blocking him, whatever. But I didn't see Anderson do anything. Maybe they didn't show it on camera, so we don't know for sure. But whatever they showed on during the race, I didn't see Anderson do anything crazy, so I'm not too sure what Jet was mad. I think, was, I think Jet was frustrated. frustrated yeah. that he's supposed to be winning, he's supposed to be out front. He hasn't won a heat race this year. Not even a heat race. Yeah, he won a one main, but in the main, in this heat race from San Diego, he got out front and then crashed into Wolf, didn't win it. Um, I think he's getting a little frustrated, but um, he put out a post today apologizing and saying, hey, AMA, send me the fine. I'll pay it. And I don't know how true it is, but he says, per your uh, request or whatever, free fan zone, Lawrence fans, fan zone for the rest of the year. You know, he's saying, like, you have to pay, like, two grand to get in. He put on his post, free fan zone. To who? He just said it, like, let me see if I can find it real quick so I don't say it wrong. But, uh. I get that, but who is he saying that to? Like, anybody could go for free? That, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, see, it says right here, tonight I let emotions get the better of me. I let myself down in the heat of the moment. I've learned from this, and my apologies to, to Jason Anderson, right? It was on me. I'll pay the fine. And then he tags AMA Supercross, and he says, send me the invoice, and per your request, free passes to Fan Zone for the season. But I'm like, yeah, so is, this, is it just going to be 50,000 people in the... Well, I think you should look at the comments, because the comments probably ask that. People are going to ask him, but yeah, I don't know. It was it, with with all that kind of uh, extra curricularly. What are they saying? Yeah. You can't say it either. Well, now you got me all jacked up. Extra curricular activity going on. There was a lot of stuff going on, you know, during the race, after the race, and I think that that made it special. Um, it just wasn't some lame, boring mud race. Yeah. There was some stuff going on, and what that tells me is that these dudes are ready to go to a normal race, and it's going to be good when they get to some dry, you know, good racing. It's going to be bitching. So. Let's not forget, AT wins his first 450 Yeah. Dude was always one from last year. Yep, exactly. You know, I really, really, really wish, though, that, or I hope, that he wins another one and he wins it in a regular race. I'm going to come out and say right now he will win it because a lot of people don't realize, dude, all these dudes are the same guy, okay? They're all the same guy. They all have that same mentality, that same speed. They all do this. Dude, and once you start giving someone some confidence, you give that guy some confidence and he rolls with it, mark my words, he will be inside – He'll be podium guy or top five guy, and if he's not there, it's because he crashed or something happened. His speed will be there. Yeah, he's always yeah he's got the speed for sure. Now he's he's a points leader also. Going into A two, he's gonna have the red plate. It's a triple crown though, so that that's probably 
Good for him. Yeah, that could be really good for him. But um, I really, really hope he wins another race in, like, a regular Supercross because you know how haters are. They're already saying, "Whoa, he's a GNCC guy. He, he's good." Nah, he'll he'll he'll. he'll blah, you know? I don't I don't think anyone that's a super like okay. knows the sport yeah. that respects it and knows it. They know that you know his his background and dude, he's a two time. You know, is he two time? Yeah, he won it two years in a row, didn't he? Lice class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, dude, think about it. The guys that he beat in the lice class are most of the guys on the track. So it's not like surprisingly. I mean, he wouldn't have that ride if he wasn't capable of winning. They just don't give a factory ride unless they really think that you can win. Maybe one or two people out there that have a ride that shouldn't have a ride because of you know there's a there was you know there's spots to fill and it was like they don't want to go out of their you know their circle. But uh, yeah. We'll uh we'll we'll wait and see, but yeah, um, congratulations to Aaron and uh, super happy for him. I've known him a long time, and uh, it's, it's cool to see him win, man. It's the emotion, and he's a good. I'll I'll just give you a little bit of background about Aaron. When Aaron was eighteen or nineteen, you know, when you're eighteen or nineteen and you're you're dating chicks, you just you know you always worry. You know, you just want to have that you know hot chick and worry about it. You don't go after a girl that has like a three-year-old kid you know and then ending up adopting the kid before you even have your own family you know so he adopted that little girl before he started having his own kids you know and now i mean she was you know i want to say three or four when that happened you know then he had two more kids with her so he has three kids one's adopted Okay, so that's the kind of guy we're 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 talking about here. We're not. He's not super ego. He's all about you know being a good father and down to earth. And you know, people are like, oh, that 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 country act. It's not an act. He's right, real. He and he's different. And people don't like change. People don't like different. Um, you know, I I respect him for who he is. He's when he came to California when he was winning, he didn't fall into that whole bro scene like a lot of guys do. You know, they forget where they come from and they, they you know, get the lifted truck and, you know, they get the tattoos and, you know, they, they start pretending someone they're not. Right, right. Yeah, so. he's definitely uh, not the norm, I, I, would, I would say, like when it comes to moto, you know? Yeah, and no. He's not trying to fit in. But I don't think there was anybody that, um, whether you're a fan of him or not, I don't think anybody was bummed to see him win. No, if you noticed, after he won, how many riders yes. congratulated him? Right. Pretty much the whole field. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he got laughed. Yeah. He came up and, said, and it wasn't like just, hey, good job. It was like a, a meaningful hug and yeah. a pat on the back, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's just respect because he races clean. He's a good guy. He's a cool guy. And that's just the type of person he is. Yep. All right. Well, let's just button up this weekend in San Diego. Um, next weekend we have uh, Anaheim. Let's keep our fingers crossed so we have a dry one, huh? Yes. Big time. I think I think the fans, um, especially you, Greg, you deserve a dry race. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of it'll kind of uh, give a little uh, shot in the arm for a lot of the the teams too. I know they 
been working overtime and you know just to keep their stuff going so you know those are the the unsung heroes are those guys working on those bikes man people don't realize how much work goes into that and uh you know so uh those guys don't win those races and even get out there without those guys so take my hat off to all the mechanics and truck drivers and you know everyone that makes it possible for these guys to do what they do on the track off you know because uh they do it. So saying that, um, we got Anaheim. We'll see what happens. We'll talk to you guys next week and we'll talk about that. But uh, what I want to go do next is got a super special guy today I wanted to bring on um, as a guest. Um, his name is Scott Cooney. Um, a lot of people in Southern California probably have seen the logo DSC Construction. And that's Scott's business. Um, he's um, a huge part of the motocross industry in SoCal. He, uh, he's been a huge contributor. Him and uh, a couple of his partners have been a huge contributor to the Teddy Parks uh, program, um, donating money and uh, whatever else he can do to that program um they helped out and did a huge best whip contest a few years ago um fifty thousand dollars literally out of their pockets and paid these guys put it on a really good show um so scott saying that has been a you know big supporter of the industry and always loved to ride he grew up racing um at paris his dad you know used to take him there as a kid and uh Became one of his favorite tracks. So saying that, Paris came up for sale, and uh, Scott and a few of his buddies ended up purchasing Paris. Um, and uh, Scott is one of the owners of the new Paris. Um, Scott has put in mount countless hours, him and his partners, to rebuild that whole park and make it what it is today. Um, on top of everything else he has going on. I just thought I wanted to bring him on and, you know, talk about the, the facility and the state of the sport. Um, I think he has a really unique look at things now as, uh, you know, as a track owner dealing with the OEMs and the industry in general. You would think that, you know, the industry would support him and, uh, you know, the OEMs would be stoked. But it's not working out that way. And, uh, you know, these guys are, I don't understand because without tracks, they, these guys, they don't know where to, you know, for people to go when they buy their product. Right, so, yeah. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit with them and just uh, chat with them in general. So uh, let's get him on the line and uh, coming at you real quick. Scott Cooney from Paris Raceway and DSC Construction. Welcome back, everybody. We have him on the line, Mr. Scott Cooney from Paris Raceway. Scott, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Kenny. I'm doing good, bud. How are you? Doing awesome, awesome. Like I said in the intro, um, I was fortunate enough to meet Scott at Paris when I went there for an event. Um, my daughter was racing, and... Scott and I ended up having a mutual friend, and um, I seen what Scott was doing, and I seen what the work that went into Paris, and I seen kind of the facelift that was going on, and I kind of followed 
you know, when they first took over the 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 track, how they totally rebuilt it, and I'll let him explain what he did. But uh, I was in between doing in between doing some things, and Scott gave me the opportunity to kind of uh, jump on board and help them with some sponsors and um, kind of some marketing stuff. And uh, I went for it. And uh, it was really a weird time for me in my life where I didn't have nothing going on. I had no income. And uh, he didn't know me f and uh, from anything. And he gave me an opportunity and tells you to what, what kind of guy he is. Um, and uh, I went from there. And between then and now, we have bonded and formed a great friendship. Um, I still help Scott out. I still help the track out with uh, with some sponsor stuff. And uh, I do it because they're just straight up good people. And uh, I would, you know, go to war for these guys. Um, some people have some things to say about the track or whatever, this and that. I know it's all bullshit. Um, if you don't know Scott or Dino or Lauren, um, don't listen to any of the bullshit you, you might hear. If you did hear anything, give yourself a chance and go to Paris and check it out. But uh, just wanted to bring Scott in and um, let him kind of give you a little background about him, where he's come from, and what's going on today. Well, Kenny, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to come onto your podcast. Um, it's uh, I first just would like to say that. You know, it's uh, WTP Motorsports um, has given has given uh, me and Lauren and Dino the opportunity to uh, to be involved with Paris Raceway, um, and uh, you know our mutual friend uh, Kyle Bentley. Um, I've known that uh, I've known Kyle for quite some time, and uh, you know when you when we kind of made the connection, I always kind of knew that you and Kyle were really close, but I just never really had the opportunity to talk with you and meet with you, but. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I just want to say thanks for uh, for that intro and um, looking forward to uh, chatting with you guys and kind of just going through some things with Paris Raceway. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's start kind of start from the beginning where how you got involved in the sport, where you were in the sport, and uh, then we'll take it from you know how everything started and where it's at now at Paris. So, as the beginning, your introduction to dirt bike riding and your background racing and being, you know, part of the, the, the community of racing in Southern California. Yeah. So I, I grew up in <clears throat> kind of on the border of LA and in Orange County in a small town in La Mirada. Um, you know, the, my dad raced in road dirt bikes and flat track and things like that. And, uh, my parents actually got me a motorcycle to, um, keep me focused in school. Cause I, you know, I had some learning difficulties, you know, difficulties and at today's standards, you know, I'd be like ADHD or hyperactive or, you know, <laughs> one, one of those, one of those things. So, um, they use it as a tool to kind of keep me focused. So I, I would kind of stay involved in school and get good grades and, and what ended up happening, it went from uh, a tool kind of being used to keep me focused and turned into something that I was actually pretty proficient in and, um, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, I raced all over Southern California amateur stuff as a kid growing up in the early seventies. Um, you know, it's kind of ironic. One of the first places I actually raced was Paris raceway. I'd say it was like 1975. So, um, yeah, so Paris has always been kind of a, a spot that, 
that, you know, I raced in and uh, raced at, you know, along with Corona Raceway and OCIR, and, you know, all of the lo- local places, you know, that we would race during the 70s. And, um, you know, I had the I had the opportunity of, of living in a in a neighborhood that I had, you know, Jim Doman at that time was riding for DG and he was a teammate, you know, him and Mark Tyner and Mike Bell and those guys were teammates. And so I, I always kind of had a little bit of an influence of some, you know, motorcycle um, people that were pretty proficient in this at that time in, in my neighborhood. And we had a lot of open area to race and ride in and it just, uh, just kind of went that way. So have you ever heard of, out. have you ever heard of Ron Turner? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just trying to educate, uh, my co-host today on who Ron Turner was. They were doing an interview, uh, with, uh, someone in the pits at the legends and heroes and he was in the background. And I'm like, yeah. see that guy right there, that dude with the white hair, the older, he ended up, to make a long story short, he was at my dentist when I was at the dentist, and uh, whatever. So, and uh, I just wanted to show Greg, like, you know, the history of it, of the sport. Yeah, I saw, I saw Ron, and Ron was with Mike Lewis. Um, we were at A1, and we were sitting and kind of up on the, in the handicap area where uh, Ron and, and Mike were sitting there, and uh I, I was able to chat with him a little bit at A1, which is kind of cool. I hadn't seen him in a while, so it was kind of cool to see him. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, yeah, no, other than that, uh, just, you know, I was raced for quite a few years. And then, you know, like everyone, you, you know, you, 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 you grow up a little bit. I had a, I had a pretty good injury that kind of took me out when I was uh, about 16 or so. And uh, then it just kind of, put it to bed and, you know, got out of high school and had a family and learned to trade and, you know, started riding again, probably around 98 and kind of rekindled some relationships that, uh, I put to bed for a while and, um, just kind of started riding and got into, uh, got into riding again and, um, just kind of stayed in it. Yeah. There's something, uh, uh, I could, I could, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'd like to jump in once in a while and say, very impressed with Scott's riding. I went when I was at the track probably a year ago. Um, I never seen Scott ride or whatever, and uh, he goes, "Man, this is the first time I've ridden in, you know, like a year and a half or something." And I'm like, "All right, cool." So I thought I was gonna go out and watch a vet guy cruising around. No, Scott can ride. Dude, <laughs> can he ride? Yeah, yeah. No, Dude, he put he was out there for like over thirty minutes, and I'm like, and I left. <laughs> And he's like, why, where'd you go? You left. I'm all, dude, I got tired watching you ride for 30 minutes, bro. Yeah. So we were telling Scott, you should go to Loretta's, dude. <laughs> like, just go for it. But anyway, Scotty, go ahead. Sorry, man. No, nah, it's okay. You know, it's crazy. I, I spent a lot of time at Paris and all the local tracks here, you know, leading up to Dino and Lauren and I taking Paris Raceway over. But I'll tell you, it, I've been so busy with, with my company and with Paris I actually haven't ridden that much. And, uh, you know, just recently, um, I've been hanging out with Bruce Murata quite a bit and him and uh, Bruce and I have been racing some of these vintage bikes. So, um, I've been kind of focusing a lot on that lately, but to get to your point, I got a brand new KX 450 sitting in my shop that I haven't even really done anything with it. And it's almost two months old. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta get back after it, but, uh, you know, to get back to what we were talking about, I, I ended up meeting Ted Parks 
got 14, 15 years ago. And uh, I got into helping all these privateers and, you know, I've been doing that for quite some time. But what was nice about doing that, it was kind of allowing me the opportunity to be involved in the sport again and help these kids kind of live a dream that I never got to fulfill. So that part was pretty cool. But, um, you know, we're on to Paris Raceway now. So I've been kind of putting that on the back burner, just been so busy trying to turn Paris around and get that place back where it should be, you know, kind of the family spot. So, so when you guys, pretty much it. how did, how did, how did that whole thing come aboard? Like, how did all that happen? Like, what, um, like what, what happened there? Like, can you explain, you know, how you guys yeah. got involved and why, you know, you guys were in that position to do it? So we were, we were in the position, we, we actually were asked to do it, um, about two and a half to three years ago, prior to us taking it over in 21, um, through a, uh, Lauren, actually Lauren Borsky's buddy, um, a, a mutual friend of his, uh, that, that was, um, good friends with Vince Graves. Vince Graves actually owned the, owns the property. He's owned it since the early 1970s, mid seventies, actually. Um, and it was, uh, the timing wasn't right for us at that point to do it. So we kind of, we kind of put it on the, on the back burner. And then uh, in, in towards the end of 20, going into the 21, we were asked if we were interested in, in you know, asked, uh, we were asked to be if we were interested in taking it over. And uh, it was a little different situation. So Lauren and I and Dino decided that, you know, the timing was right. And uh, we got with Vince and we put a deal together and, uh, yeah, we kind of jumped in with both feet. And uh, that's where we're at today. Yeah. So um, that's, can you explain a little bit to you know, the listeners, what in detail do you guys, when you first took it over, like, cause I know you guys shut the place down for a while and kind of just went in there with bulldozers and just went to work. First of all, you just, you knocked down the awnings. They had the awnings where people would park under those things were right to fall over anyways. So you came in there and knocked those things down. And, you know, I always say to people, if you haven't been to Paris, and the last couple of years, I mean, dude, I tell people, I'll give you $100 for every piece of paper you can pick up off the ground. There's nothing. I mean, the place is clean as clean. And, you know, everyone used to talk about how gross the bathrooms were. Dude, they have the best out, the best outhouses in the business at Paris. You know, most people don't care about getting them clean. Those things are up and clean and sanitary. Um, these guys, you know, have passion in the, in the sport. Like you said, they want to get the families back out there and uh, that's what they're doing. Yeah, I know. You know, Dino prides himself on having clean toilets, which I, you know, I, I have to, have to agree with him. He, he does a good job of getting those things pumped out a couple times a week and, um, keep, you know, try, he just knows how important it is for, you know, the moms, the moms need to have a clean bathroom to use if they're going to take their kids out there. And you'd be surprised how many moms do bring their kids out at the track, which is super cool. Cause, uh, I know growing up, my mom was never going to do that. So I, I give moms a lot of credit to bring those kids out to Paris raceway. So yeah, I at know. least we could do get up some clean bathrooms. Yeah, I know. And that's one of the things, but a lot of the other thing was, uh, the, the input that you put in towards the track, uh, you guys, can you explain what you guys did to bring that track up to where it is today? Um, 
because I yeah. know you guys yeah. rebuilt it and brought in, you know, some elevation to it. And I know, you know, there's not too many other facilities that it could rain and dump for a couple of days. And, you know, where Paris could be up and running, you know, the next, you know, 48 hours um, after, a, you know, a gnarly rainstorm because of what you guys, the preparation you guys have taken for it. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing we did when we took Paris over is um, I have some I have some good friends in the in the uh, GPS business. Um, Dawson uh, is the guy that him and I uh, came up with the track layout, and uh, so we got a hold of uh, some friends of ours. They have a system called the Leica system, and the first thing we did was we GPS the entire site. The whole site is about twenty six acres. And in order to make Paris, you know, like Kenny said a minute ago, all we really need is a good 24 to 48 hours and we can turn the track around and we can open. Um, but in order to get it to the condition that's in today and to get some, you know, I, I don't know if some people have noticed when they come into the facility and they look out into the infield of Paris Raceway, it just looks like it's wider and it's deeper. Um, and then that's all part of GPSing the site and then taking the vertical cliffs that were around the perimeter. We, we took all that dirt and we used it in the track. So, so basically everything that was vertical, um, existing when we took it over, um, we used all that dirt to fill in the holes. And, um, so we used, uh, we used about, I don't know, it was probably somewhere around 18 to 19,000 yards of dirt. Uh, that was that was just scattered through the site to fill in the holes. And then basically from the starting gate down to the detention basin at the far south end of the property, there is about 14 foot of elevation change. So that whole property now drains at 2% at, at 13 to 14 feet to the detention basin. So, um, so the when, key you to guys, making the, when you guys did that, did you did you guys dig down for the drainage? Because I know I used to remember um, racing there back in the day when it rained, that whole area where you're talking about would be flooded all the way into the street and into the property across the street. Yeah, so we did two things. So Paris originally was in a hole. Um, so the whole the whole point of regrading the site was to uh, get rid of the hole and make, make the property uh, one plane so that when you did have a rain event everything sheet flowed for from from north to south so to speak um technically technically it's actually from uh kind of from a east to west um the way it sheets but that being said we we took all like i said we took all the vertical stuff and we took that material and we leveled the side out and used all that to fill in the holes and then we farmed um oh i'd say we farmed almost uh I don't know, 70 to 80,000 yards of dirt um, from the property, which we called the overflow area. And we, we took all that dirt. We went down, I'd say probably about 18 feet and we took all that native material and we built all the obstacles that you see today out of that dirt. And then we just kind of recontoured the property after that to get it to grade. So, um, but that was pretty much it in a nutshell, um, basically. Nice. So you guys came in, you did that, you re rebuilt the track, regraded the whole facility. So um, for that for that reason, so you could prep for rain. You mm -hmm. uh, also a lot of people don't they remember going there for 
you know, the summer, or the, what do they call it? The, uh, the hot summer nights. And hot summer nights, yeah. I remember going there, and the lighting was super sketchy. Um, but not that way no more, correct? Yeah, we we uh we we basically were closed for 49 days if i wasn't mistaken i think we we took it over closed it for 49 days while we were doing the grading um you know me lauren and dino were taking care of some infrastructure stuff we took we you know we tore down the original building that that building was just infested with just all kinds of rat shit and pet you know um pigeon shit and it was just horrible um, you know, we tore down all the awnings and then we, we, we rewired quite a bit of the existing, uh, electrical, um, to get the lights up. I think out of the 172 or 73 lights, I think only 50, 52 were actually working when we took it over. Um, and then we, you know, we, 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 uh, got with, uh, some buddies of ours that are in the electrical business, uh, um, that helped us, uh, you know, retrofit everything with new LED lighting. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it was a big undertaking. We did a, quite a bit of work in, you know, 49 days. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand. Um, how much money out of your guys' pockets did you guys have to put into the facility to get it up and going to – not really to where you want it to be, because I know there's big plans for that place, but to make it opera, you know, to make it operable. Um, the initial, I think the initial, uh, I think the initial amount of money that we came out right away was like, I want to say a little over three hundred grand, okay. three hundred thousand so, dollars. Yeah. So, so saying that three hundred thousand dollars came out of your guys's pocket to do that. And this wasn't anything but a passion for you guys, correct? Absolutely. Um, You know, Paris was, Paris was in a position to where it was either going to get better or it was going to go away. Um, That's kind of where it was at. And um, we, Dino, Lauren and I felt that that it was time for, for Paris to get a, a little bit of a shot in the arm and, and get some new life put into it and um that was that was kind of it and you're right though we didn't it wasn't something that we we that we really thought needed to happen it just kind of we just felt hey you know what this is the right time and and let's do it and you know here we are today and you know we probably have now at probably close to a half a million into it and um you know it's 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 okay though you know it's 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 the oldest motocross track west of the Mississippi so um, it's one of the last breathing places in Southern California where you can actually go and 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 be involved at a place that's got a lot of rich history I mean Kenny you know look at the stuff you did there in the early days yeah um, for sure you know yeah and I look and, at it like this Scott I look at it like you know you three guys did this as a passion passion project not for a money absolutely. Grab. You know, and when you guys first started, you're like, okay, you know, the industry is going to be super stoked on us. We're they're going to be so happy we came in here, and they're going to want to work with us because of this reason and that reason. And then we got a rude awakening. We got a very Absolutely. rude awakening, and uh, you know, 
why don't you talk on that, like how we've reached out to pretty much every OEM, and uh, even a couple of them came out and they gave us a lip service, and at the end of the day, you know, it happened just like in every uh, in every other, you know, deal you do in moto. They just stop answering your calls and they just, you know, that's the way they handle business. So what, yeah, what, I mean. I, you know, you're right. You know, we, we put a lot of money into it. We were thinking that, you know, there would be a lot of interest, you know, being, you know, knowing the rich history of Paris, right. We all, we all know what happened there, you know, goat record ran it for quite a few years and did a great job with it. And some of the best races in the early, you know, late, late eighties, uh, early nineties took place at Paris raceway. So, you know, our intentions were like, Hey, let's take this place over. Let's clean it up. Let's do what we want to do. Let's get the family vibe back in here and we'll get it, we'll get it stabilized. And then, you know, we'll show the industry, we'll show the, the industry and the people that are involved in our sport. And I use that term really loosely because I know a lot of people in this sport use that term. And, you know, in, in my, my opinion, locally, there's not a whole lot of people that have done anything for our sport other than uh, WTP Motorsports, you know, and, and Lauren and I and Dino, we've, We've, we feel like we've stepped up, especially in the position that we're in in this country right now, right? We took Paris Raceway over, right? Right at the end of COVID, you know, and then, you know, things were going really well. And, you know, here we are three in, three years into this administration, and we see the fallout of bad policies and, and, you know, higher fuel costs and, you know, having to raise, you know, entry fees just to offset some of the fuel costs. Not alone, just not to mention that our insurance just went up $10,000, starting in February, which is going to be another massive hit to these tracks. And it's not just Paris Raceway that's going to get hit with these insurances. It's it's all of these tracks that are left. They're, we're all going to be paying higher insurance premiums this year. And, you know, and the, and the average person that comes out and rides and supports our track, I just don't really think they're that in tune with how much the costs are, the wear and tear on the equipment, you know, the workman's comp, the general liability, the fuel, Speaking, um, of, speaking every- of that, let me let me just throw something more at you, Scott. And then, sorry to cut you off. I just want to bring this up before you get too far down the road about Paris. What Paris is all about. So you so people know, Paris was uh, the only track, and I say was because a couple people started to do this and followed what they were doing. Is that hired? Now listen, people hired flaggers on payroll consistently have the same people there every single week in week out that just doesn't have a flag in their hand they were trained flaggers they went to the bread downey safety course and they went there so they're paid flaggers they are employees of paris raceway absolutely absolutely so the reason that is it's not for any other reason but for one safety so people do not get hurt. That's the number one priority that Scott, Dino, and Lauren told me that that is their biggest concern. They want to bring the safety aspect back into it that they have, you know, the lights on the faces of the jumps. They have everything they can to protect it. You know, you have to be, you know, part of, and I'll let Scott tell you about the, the, the <coughs> trainer's deal. You have to be part of a certain situation to be able to go out and train a rider there, it's not like photographers aren't allowed on the track. They have to have a vest. They have to sign in. There's strict guidelines, and those guidelines are made to protect the rider more than anything. 
So saying yeah. that, that is another thing that a lot of people bitch about. Well, they raised their price, you know, to get in the gate. It's, you know, $40. Well, it used to be 30 It's 30 to get in here, 30 to get in there. Well, you get what you pay for. I mean, if you go back and look how many close calls there was, there was one, you know, at a, at a major national a while ago where a kid, you know, a guy on a side-by-side that was a track worker pulls out on the track in a blind spot and almost killed a kid. Yeah, that was just at the AZ Open. It was back, I think, in like October, November, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, what people don't realize is that, and and I'll get to the Brett Downey thing. So right now, uh, I was on the phone with Jim last week. We've had some, we've had some issues with our safety lights. Uh, Buddy Antonez is now working with the Brett Downey Foundation. I, Jim, Jim assured me that they're going to be coming back out here shortly, but they're, they're redeveloping a new light, a safety light. And we're going to be the first one uh, that gets the new retrofit and um, we'll be using them again out at Paris. Uh, they were having a little bit of problem with transponder and, and, you know, communicating between each, each uh, section of lights and stuff. But uh, Jim's working on it. They're, they're definitely um, going through a change on the lights. So, you know, that'll be something that will should happen by the second quarter and we'll get those safety lights back out at Paris for sure. But, um, I know that if we don't bring it up and talk about it, people are going to say, oh, well, the lights aren't even out there anymore. But that's what's going on. We're, we're revamping the safety lights with the Brett Downey Foundation. So um, just to clarify that. But, yeah, as far as as far as just uh, this insurance thing, I want to get back to this insurance thing because uh, we're renewing our insurance. Our insurance renews February 1st. So um, we are we are completely blown away and 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 think about this we've been we've been operating for two years now we haven't had a major incident where we've had a a loss of life or or you know anything really negative i mean of course there's always the broken wrists the broken bones and bumps and break you know scrapes and bruises and things like that because our sport's dangerous but um we have a ten thousand dollar increase man and we have a clean record I can't even imagine if if you have a, a claim or a casualty of what those costs are going to be for any of these tracks locally that are going to be renewing their insurance this year. So I think the people that come to Paris have to understand, you know, we're, this is not a money grab for us. You know, the three of us guys have not taken a dime from this racetrack, not one single dime. And we're OK with that because this is this is not like I said, this has never been a money grab for us. This is just something that, that, you know, we're passionate about and that we really want to see make, you know, we want to make sure that we have the best place to ride in Southern California. Um, we're just going to let it happen organically. And, you know, some of these OEMs, if they don't, if they want to be involved, fine. And if they don't, they don't, that's okay. But they got to remember if they're going to sell motorcycles, they better have a place to ride them because you can't just go buy one of these motocross bikes and go on the desert anymore and ride it. Those days are over with. So, hey, any of the OEMs that want to, we want to do a joint venture with us. You guys sell a bike, we negotiate a deal for your customer to come and ride at Paris. So I've thrown that out there to a couple different of the man, couple different manufacturers, and I haven't heard a word. So I don't know where that's all at. Surprisingly, yeah, they're too worried about other stupid shit. Well, it's you know I, I know that that Pingree and I touched on it a little bit um, last last year during Surfacross. Uh, we talked about it. But, you know, like I said, 
we're just going to keep pushing the ball down the field. We got a good group of people behind us. I got, you know, we're, we're doing stuff with whiskey throttle media, uh, David and, and Bruce and, and Jeff and all the guys over there, Rick Dowdy. Um, they, they're solid people. They see what we're doing and, um, you know, it'll just happen. It's not like it's, we're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? We're going to get through it. We're going to have to tighten up the belt a little bit because of this insurance increase. We're not raising the price to, to get into Paris, but, um, we just need to be supported. We just need to have, I, I use the term, right? Asses in the seats, man. We just got to fill the place up. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, there's a lot of exciting things going on for the near future with Paris. Can you speak Absolutely. on, a, can you speak on a little bit of that or should we just, uh, talk about that on another day? Yeah, we'll just talk about that another day. And, you know, um, you're a big part of that, Kenny. Um, you know, you, one thing about, one thing I can say about Kenny Watson is he's got his finger on the pulse and he hears a lot and he's got good contacts. And, um, you've been, you've been a huge part of, of Paris Raceway. Um, I know Dino and Lauren feel the same way about it. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. And we're, uh, we're super, we're super excited about some of the things that are coming up. I finally got Scott Burnsworth to do an event at Paris. So we're super excited about his GP. It'll be a two day event. And, um, if anybody wants any information on that, they can go to rideparis.com and get all the information on that. So, yeah, that'd be um, cool. yeah, that'll be, that'll yeah. bring some people that that'll bring some, uh, some people from back in the day that used to ride Paris. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-day event. The first, I think, the first day is going to be the vintage side, and then the second day will be the modern, the modern bikes, which is going to be super cool. And um, you know, we're 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 super stoked on the taking over the the speedway February first. So that's that's a huge deal for us. Yeah, why don't you speak on that a little bit, Scott? That uh, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, attend to go to that a lot of speedway stuff at Costa Mesa, and. Uh, what what kind of events are you going to have there? You're going to have uh, Super Hooligan, Speedway, Flat Track. You know how's how's that going to break down? Yeah, so a couple things going on with that. So uh, the whole thing with with Paris and Vince Graves and Donna and Donna and Freddie used to run the motocross track um, for quite some time, uh, early two thousands, um, and the whole thing donna's donna's retiring she retired last month um and another thing it was just kind of a natural progression to just take the the whole facility over uh vince asked us if we were interested i got with aaron fox aaron fox is a two-time national speedway champion and uh we him and i've known each other for quite some time just a solid guy very well respected in the speedway industry and uh, he's going to run the program, and we've got a couple people we're talking to right now to take the flat track over as well. With Aaron's involvement, of course, he's going to have he's going to be kind of boots on the ground for the speedway. Um, he's got a he's got a really good handle on that and what it needs to look like and how it needs to be run. And <clears throat> so he's going to he's going to take that direction. And uh, we uh, we're probably most likely we're going to. Um, our first event with him is February or uh, April 20th. That's the first, first event for Speedway. Um, we're going to do twice a month. We're going to do Wednesday open practice for flat track and Speedway starting February. I think it's the second week of February. Um, as you can tell, I'm not the calendar guy. <clears throat> I've been I'm more involved in the, 
you know, the construction and, and facility stuff. So that's speaking kind of my that, wheelhouse. Speaking of that, are you guys going to do kind of like you did with the uh, motocross track over there, you know, kind of buff it out? Yeah. Or? Yeah. We, we just did a partnership with faster minis. So faster minis is uh, they're based out of Oregon and we're going to actually build a pit bike track in the middle of the speedway. So we're going to start doing a lot of pit bike uh, stuff in the middle of the speedway. And, um, so eventually how, they, that's all lit up too, right? There, that's lights and all that stuff there. So be yeah, there's events. that. Yeah, that whole facility is lit. It's got really good lighting. Um, so that that's kind of a no brainer over there. Um, what's nice about that that venue is it's it's kind of self contained. It's got a you know its own little uh, snack shack. It's got you know great parking. It's got good lighting. There's bleachers over there. So yeah, it's 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 just going to be. I think it's going to be the spot to put a really cool little pit bike track in there and, and gets, we're going to do open pit bike practice too, one day a week over there. So that, that should be pretty cool. Yeah, and then if that goes well, you know, if that goes well, I think the guys are talking about running maybe two to three, maybe possibly four big events there a year with pit bike racing. And, you know, if that goes well, then we'll probably push that thing around from time to time. And we'll probably put a, in a little like an amateur supercross track in there on a scaled down version for kids. That's at awesome. Some point. Man, that's killer. I didn't know all that. That's that's awesome. That's yeah, just, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's exciting, man. That's exciting. There's just like I said, you know, beginning of this conversation, there's not too many other people in this sport that are out there doing what you guys are doing. And, you know, it's not a money grab. It's not to make money. It's not. It's to give back to the sport. It's to give back to the community. It's giving the people the opportunity for them to go out with their families and enjoy motorcycles. End of the day. Absolutely. End of stories. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent. And I think I think for us, honestly, to have the speedway, it gives the whole facility a different dimension because you know we're talking about doing, you know, we're talking about doing like uh, vintage dirt bike uh, swap meets. We're talking about doing truck shows. You know, Lauren. Lauren's got a massive collection of cab overs, you know, vintage cab over trucks and stuff. So uh, I, I think the whole thing is for if you're just hanging around the house and you want to go somewhere on the weekends, we want Paris to be kind of like, hey, you know what, let's let's run over to Paris. I, you know, I heard they're having a truck show over there this weekend in the Speedway or, you know, there's a motocross race going on or there's a concert or, you know, we want it to be kind of a, a you know, known more than just a motocross facility. We want it to be a, a facility for, you know, a lot of different functions. So yeah, that's awesome. It's just a place to go have fun. Place to absolutely. go have fun. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what about, uh, I know you and I talked a little bit about the summer. Um, what about uh, hot, hot summer nights? What's, are you guys planning on doing some stuff there again or what's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we are, um, I don't really want to say a whole lot about it, but okay, there's okay. definitely, there's definitely somebody, uh, Kenny, that, 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 you know, that you've, you've introduced us to that, uh, that's definitely interested in doing some summer racing at Paris raceway. And, um, you know, it, I feel it's a little too early to touch base on that, but I, I definitely feel good about it. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be bringing, uh, the hot summer nights and possibly their series as well. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, but uh, no, I, I think the outlook for 24 for Paris is, is definitely, um, I'm optimistic about it for sure. 
um it's been a it's been a gnarly two years though i'll, I'll tell you um we've had we've had a lot of um ups and downs had a lot of bumps and bruises but you know you got to remember the three of us are just guys that own businesses you know that love moto we weren't we weren't actually you know race promoters or or you know uh guys that ran you know a motocross facility so you know we've we've made some mistakes and um but we've made some good we've made some good things happen too so um i don't know it's 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 been uh it's been fun i've had people ask me hey scott you know in your opinion was this worth it and i said well you know it's not that it wasn't worth it i mean i'm a little i'm a little disappointed i'm a little disappointed in some of the people um, in our sport that I, I thought would step up and, and, and take a little bit more interest in what we were trying to do. But I, I think it, I think over time, um, I think people will come around. I, I, I just have to feel at some point, um, people are going to see that there's more to this sport than just grabbing money from people. Yeah. Well, that's what we talked about. And that's when, you know, they, the people want to get on board when something's already successful. And that's going to be the time where I wouldn't say you get revenge or anything like that, but that's the time where you can really sit back and say, okay, do we get these people involved now because we can? Or should we just say, hey, you know what? You had the opportunity. We appreciate you you know, supporting it, but you know what? We're going to pass. You know, that's, that's going to put the ball in your court eventually when it goes down there, but you know, you guys, you know, just the time that I've been involved um, and, you know, take a step back and look at it, you know, between Debbie, Dino, Lauren, and yourself, it's uh, um, a quite a good, you know, package of people that, you know, put in time to make sure that that place is on point. And yeah, like I said, you know, we'll close at this. If you do not or have not been to Paris in the last two years, you need to, no matter if you live up north, you live in the Valley or Santa Clarita, and you just want to go to LACR because it's closer, drive the extra half hour and do yourself a favor. And you can see what it's like to be on a true motocross track with passion and people that care. If you have a problem with the track or you have a problem with anything where you could go and complain and they address it right in front of you. So, um, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's legit. It's legit. I would not, you know, talk about it, get you on the show or support it if it wasn't. So I just want to say, Scott, congratulations with what you have done so far. I know we have a lot more work to do. I'm looking forward to, you know, big things to happen in the future. And, you know, more than anything, I just want to say thanks for your friendship and uh, believing in me and trusting in me and uh, giving me an opportunity to kind of uh, rebrand myself and, and kind of got myself out of the rut. So uh, thank you. Well, we appreciate, you know, we appreciate everything you've done, done with us too, Kenny. And uh, it's been it's been fun. Um, you know, Paris isn't going anywhere. We'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll, we've got, we've got a, a lot left to do. And, uh, you know, um, we'll just keep, just keep pushing the ball down the field, like I say. And, and, uh, we really appreciate, you know, your support. Um, I know you're tied in with, with, uh, with the guys over at whiskey throttle media as well. And 
I'll tell you this relationship that, that Bruce and I have, have put together over this last year, it's just been so cool. And to be, to be there, uh, and watch him get back into racing and, and having, you know, you're involved and David and, you know, your whole crew and, and us at Paris Raceway, it's just, uh, it's just, it's fun to be working with like-minded people. And, uh, I know Dino and Lauren are like super excited about some of the stuff we've got coming up to for, for this year. So yeah, that's um, awesome. it's been, it's been super cool. That's awesome. Greg, you got anything you wanted to, uh, add to this? Uh, Did you know that he was the owner when you parked next to him? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, just from like social media and stuff like that. But um, and I would like to say thanks to Scott for always being super cool with me and and. Uh, was he approachable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, whenever you know someone's uh, position or everything, mm-hmm. you take it a little bit, you know, intimidating, intimidating yeah. or whatever. But I, like I seen him at A one, and he's always been super polite and everything. So. Yep. You know, it's it's really cool. Just as a fan, it's uh, it's cool to see for sure. Cool. When you first, can I ask a question though? Because there's, I've had people, I've had people. Um, I'm not going to say people. I've had a few people make comments that I'm not an approachable guy, and I'm not a. Well, I'm I heard a, a lot of people I, don't like you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, and that's been said, and and I I struggle with that a little bit because I I want to I. I I don't, uh, I think I'm a pretty approachable person. Um, and I was just curious if, if I treated you with respect and dignity, I, I, I hope I did, but, um, I'm hoping that's just kind of hearsay and that's not really a true thing. I, I, that kind of bums me out. I would say, um, it's just unfortunate that the position we're in in, as a society nowadays, um, people are a little, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like you're, you're more old school, you're, and I'm used to that, so it's not hard for me, but I feel some people, I don't know, they're a little softer, or they get their feelings hurt or whatever, and you speak your mind. Like, the first time I met you, it was me, you, and a couple other guys, and you you didn't hold back. I mean, you weren't, like, rude or nothing like that, but you were. You said it the way you felt. I appreciate that, and I, I uh, wish or more like that as a society but yeah i could see how people could get kind of butthurt or whatever but i mean that's as far as saying you're not approachable i i wouldn't say that i would just say that like i said whenever whenever somebody's in a position that you're in like oh that's the owner no matter what it is there's always going to be a little bit of intimidation or whatever you know yeah no i could see that i i understand the point but you got to remember, I am almost sixty years old, and I started. I start. I started my business by myself, and if I wasn't kind of who I was, I wouldn't be in the position I am today with my business, and I wouldn't be 
um, we wouldn't have probably taken Paris Raceway over. You know what I mean? And and at the and at the end of the at the end of the day, Lauren and and Dino and I are both from that same kind of old school way. And um, you know, we're I'm working on on trying to be a little softer, but I I have a hard time sometimes being soft because when I was soft you usually get ran over and when you're trying to run a business you can't get ran over because you won't be in business next week i would say out of the three owners scott is the softest i've had the most interaction with scott well i've had interaction with all three of them and believe me when i tell you people this scott cooney is a sweetheart he'll scott cooney (laughs) scott cooney dino or lauren would take their shirt off their back and give it to someone but Scott would be the first one well, with it off. What Scott was saying, though, you have to be, there has to be that position where, yeah, yeah for sure. Off my back for you, but you can't take their... Take advantage of it. Kindness for weakness, right? Exactly. There exactly. you go. Yeah, exactly. perfect. Perfect, perfect hey, analogy. It, at the end of the day, here's the way you got to look at it. Don't come to me and make deals with me that you can't fucking cash. Yeah. Yep. How's don't, that? Don't write, checks that? That, don't write checks that you can't cash. Yep. Yeah. So if you if you're gonna if you're gonna come to me and come and you want something and, and, and we're gonna and we're gonna set some guidelines and there's gonna be some some uh, payback at some point when I ask for it, you better be able to hold your end of the bargain up. Otherwise, I got no use for you. Yeah. Yep. And he's not afraid to tell you. So. Believe me. He clipped me. He freaking clipped me in a second when I didn't get my job done. He's like, dude, we're good, but you're clipped. You're not. I'm not paying you no more. You don't do what you say you're going to do. You're done. Later. We need more of that. Hey, easy, easy, easy. (laughs) I think people are are very sensitive, very soft. Well, people need, I think in general, just like Scott said, it's like if you're there to do something, and no matter what it is, exactly. And you have to look at it like, hey, people are doing, like, it's, it's hard to find a job or whatever you're doing with people that will have your back. Most people look at you just as a number. You can't do it. You're replaceable. You're out of here. Blah, blah, blah. Dude, if you go somewhere and you know that the people have your back, that's, I mean, you need to perform and you need to do the same thing for them that they would do for you and look at it like that in your position. Um, and I don't think, you know, in business, like Scott said, there's people that don't do that in all different realms of life. And, you know, him, you know, building, you know, DSC construction and, you know, doing what he's done with, you know, Paris and WPT Motorsports and all that stuff. The guy's a success. He's done, you know, and is proven. So, you know what, saying that, we're going to end that, Scott, on that. And uh, congratulations on everything that you've done so far. And I know that there's many more to come. And next time we talk, we could talk about all the cool things and the success that Paris is doing. And uh, I look forward to it, dude. I really do. Man, I just want to say thank you yeah, for no, I... coming on and <clears throat> everything you've done yeah, for me and it. my family, dude. No, it's it's been great. And, and you know, Greg, it's it's been nice getting to know you, too. And, uh, um and and I, I always I'll just say this I I thank you guys for everything and supporting us and uh, you know I 
you always have to remember you never know who you're gonna you never know who you're gonna park next to you never know who you're gonna walk up to next to and you never yep. know who you're gonna meet so in life um, in life in life it's it, a small absolutely. fucking world we live in dude you never know yeah yeah so, for sure that's why i always try to treat people with respect and show dignity and you know it's like the old saying i would not want to trade my bag of problems with anybody because you never know what's going on inside so saying that scotty Keep in touch. Thanks I will. For everything. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Scott. Have a good night. You guys have you guys have a great day, man. And uh, let's 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 keep this moto community alive, guys. Yep, let's do it. Take care, Paris Raceway. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. A little call with Scott Cooney. Um, at least you could kind of understand the situation, Paris was in, is in, the future, what they're going to do. Um, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. Uh, you know, people really don't understand what it's like to uh, run a racetrack. I never knew, you know. And uh, when I got to spend some time there and working with these guys, uh kind of educated me. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work, man. A lot of, uh, a lot of things to take into consideration. But... Uh, Hope you're. Hope we've got a little bit more uh, educated on that. The, on that. So, uh, saying that, we're going to come to an end here of the show. Once again, I just want to give a shout out to Maxis Guts Racing, Ron's in your ear audio, Rockwell. If you're not rocking Rockwell, you're going to be because they're coming out with some new stuff that I think um, is going to be a sh- you know big 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 shock to the industry and you know people are going to enjoy it so look for that coming up and uh, we'll launch it on the show uh coach rob um check him out if you uh just an amateur guy or just a normal guy that wants to get in shape or do something check rob out he can uh set you up on a program you know tell you what you know Get your results for your blood work. He can, you know, read it back to you and do whatever there. And last but not least, I want to thank uh, John Anderson over at W for everything he does. Um, I know Greg got his wheels. What do you think, Greg? Are you happy? So happy factory. Are you factory now? Factory now, dude. Cool. And uh, speaking of factory, I think uh, there might be an um, opportunity that we might be able to work with fast. Um, and, you know, bring them on as a partner. Um, it's funny. We were talking about the handlebar and, uh, I went back and I was just thinking about it and they had that handlebar car, the flex, I remember. And, uh, talked to them a little bit and, uh, we're going to put some stuff together and hopefully we can bring them on as a partner. But, um, saying that, um, hope everybody stays dry over the wet weekend and, uh, look forward to Anaheim this weekend. And I uh, just want to say thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, till next time. Meow.